Hi and welcome to another Canny Conversations podcast, powered by the Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley, and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Zafraz Ali has been talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. And of course, many of the businesses that are part of the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance. This week, we hear the second part of Safraz's conversation with Scott Parkin from the Institute of Employability Professionals. They take a further look into the world of employability and professional development. In this half of their conversation, Scott reflects on his personal journey of growth and his journey as a leader over the past decade. He tells us about the evolution of his career, the innovative initiatives of his organisation and the outlook for the employability sector. We get valuable insights and wisdom from Scott's experience and his vision for the future. We discover the transformative power of purpose-driven leadership and the importance of visibility in driving positive change. So let's rejoin their conversation. Very collaborative and collegiate approach to everything. Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Scott. Uh, I'm going to change tack a little bit, if I may, Scott. And and uh, you know, you've touched on it, and you and we talk about it as well. And uh, the organisation has changed. There's no doubt. You've touched on some of the changes that you've adopted on a personal basis as well. You're very aware of some of those changes, and you play to your strengths. So, talk to us about the changes to you as a leader in terms of personal sort of changes how have you adapted and you know what was Scott like say a decade ago and and, and how have you sort of been what's, what's that journey been like for you as a, as a person wow right yeah. okay well I seem to say wow quite a lot but it's uh, <laughs> uh, it's about yeah. the kind of reflection yeah, slightly yeah, then isn't yeah. it but um no I I, I I mean 10 years ago I was uh, I hope I was doing a good job yeah I really wanted to I think I've certainly had to mature and develop a lot of skills through through doing this in terms yeah. of the ability to build partnerships. I think, though, a lot of that communication is pretty ingrained. I think, you know, you can focus on those skills, as you yeah. say, you can, yeah. but I think that's developing them rather than getting them in the first yeah. place. Yeah. I think I've realized over that period of time that credibility doesn't come by not being yourself. So in essence, I mean, a number of stars align in, in yeah. that kind of element. And you get to a point where you have something really, really good to yeah. to talk about. But you talk about it in your own language. You talk about it the way you want yeah. to. And I think that's why we have growing relationships. That's why uh, we were asked to go to the committee in Australia mm. to present and also present a, a paper after that. Because I think we just say it how it mm. is. And it's quite a nice and unique position to be in because... Mm. We only advocate for quality and we value all our partners hugely, but the quality should be wherever anyone is delivering. So whether that be a uh, one of our amazing restart providers, whether it be working health program, whether it be in a housing association, whether that be in Job Centre Plus, whether mm. that be in a skills business, mm. a health business, I mean, just anywhere you could mm. possibly imagine. Mm. As long as it's good. And serving those citizens, those customers, those participants really well, then it doesn't matter. So mm. I think understanding that you can advocate well and you can build real significant partnerships just by being yourself. You don't have to be anybody any different. And mm. 
And uh, and I think that's quite interesting over those 10 years. Mm. So I mean, talk to us about your, the career, sort of, not necessarily over the 10 years, but you know, your career really, how has it evolved? How has it, you know, how, what, you know, we, you know, we know you now as the Group Chief Executive, International Chess Center, as I said right at the beginning, a connector, a change maker. You know, there's a fun side to it as well, but there's a serious side to, to yourself. And this is serious work. You know, yes, you know, you enjoy it, you love it and so forth. And I can see the passion and, and you do energize me on a serious note. And, you know, you bring that energy, the vibe. But talk to us about the ups and downs and also the, the career, really, that transition that's been there on a personal basis. I'm trying to get away from the group chief executive yeah. of IEP and talk to us about your career. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah no, I mean, yeah. absolutely funny. I have the best yeah. job in the world. Yeah. I mean, I have the most amazing team in the world. I mean, every now and again, and all of them are brilliant, by the way, I do reflect on how simple it was five years ago or eight years ago when budgets were small yeah. and, you know, it, it's just less complicated. I mean, I don't, I don't, I would never want to go back to that in any way, shape or yeah. form, but I do reflect on that. I think the last, I mean, the last, the last 10 years have been interesting, really. I mean, yeah. I, I, like most people, didn't make a fundamental choice to be in this sector. Mm. I had no idea what it was. Yeah. Okay. And there's still massive amounts of work to do in that yeah. environment. I didn't know what I was going to do. I tried a number of things in my career, some pretty brilliant things, some less so. And uh, I happened and fell on this, I don't know, a long time ago now. And uh, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Mm. And whilst I've gone off into doing other things related, this is absolutely where I, where I feel. It was as if, it's quite interesting because I do reflect on this sometimes. It was as if this job was built for me. It wasn't. But in essence, I kind of wonder what else I could do now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so I think I've talked about the early days of the IUP and learning and various things and budgets being tight and all that kind of stuff. And and I think, as I say, this, a significant point was Pat coming on board, giving you that, that grown-up business kind yeah. of ideal. But we've built serious capital. We've built an organization together. I'm learning once again what it takes to be a line manager. You know, it's been a long while since that's that's yeah. happened. Yeah. And uh, hopefully not making too many mistakes. My staff team will will tell you that um, for good and bad. But every day I get up and think, this is amazing. And that, it often starts with a 7 a.m. call to Australia <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is fundamentally the best place to be, okay. genuinely. I'm going to ask again, if I may. <laughs> So in another, in another way, how how would you explain your career to your family? You got you got kids, so yeah. You? yeah, yeah. How would you explain to your son, say, as an example? Yeah. What 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 do you do, and how have you got here? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I tell them that there's there's nothing like good hard work. I mean, genuinely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting setup. My son has Asperger's, yeah. and and yeah. is has um, yeah. uh, he's brilliant yeah. and has some incredible superpowers and specialities uh, but not always what um, societies invariably look yeah. for over a number of years yeah. and um, so yeah I mean I mean I do explain to them they see I'm away quite a bit these yeah. days so yeah. they've yeah they've not they've not said anything like are your mum okay because you're away so much <laughs> I mean if they did I'd answer yes we are fine you know yeah. but it's um I think they see the work as important I don't yeah. think they understand it I don't yeah. think they would understand they wouldn't understand the, we come yeah. I, I bring awards home or yeah, yeah. I'll say I met such and such the other day and they'll go, Oh great dad, that's fantastic. <laughs> but they won't put two and two together about 
me actually doing something that's useful yeah. in some way. I think my son said it the other day. I, I did work as a music journalist for a little while, and okay. I think my son said the other day, it'd be a bit like if you were a I'm not suggesting, by the way, I'm anything as talented as this, but it'd be a bit like if you're a musician and you were doing things and people liked yeah. it, and then you came home, your kids would go, so what? You know, it's like, it's just nothing it, it to is, them. Yeah. But I think that what we try and do with our children and what I try and do with others, that anyone that will listen to, yeah. to try and get across how hard work does pay off. Uh, it really does. Yeah. And uh, I was a bit of a kind of... Uh, victim's not the right word, but in essence, not going to university. Yeah. I think in the early part of my career, and I, I, I don't chip on my shoulder about this, quite frankly, in my early to mid-20s, maybe not getting the promotions that I thought I should because I hadn't gone to university and got a degree. And, and mm. I mean, none of that matters mm. at all anymore. Mm. But actually, I do remember that well. And so I'm saying to my kids and anyone that will listen that you just work hard, you'll, you'll move past those points. Mm. I don't actually think that's as much of a, a big deal yeah. in senior management these days, yeah. but um, but it certainly was back in the day. Scott, talk to us about leadership. You live and breathe leadership. You've got your different approaches, and there's no doubt uh, that you know you've you've made a fantastic change. You know you are a change maker. You are a catalyst for change. You know you you talk about line management, and you've adapted that. You talk about your relationship with the board, particularly Pat and some of the other colleagues. You know, how have you changed as a leader? What does that look like? You know, where are you now in terms of your thinking and approach? And, and what, from your approach, have you sort of changed? What, what have you sort of changed your mind on and your change your approach? Well, I, I think um, getting older is quite a significant <laughs> factor. And I think you have to be, I think you have to be in less of a rush to make decisions. And um, look, I'm, I'm surrounded by amazing people. I mean, genuinely. I think if you hire the right people and you help them to understand and adopt mm. the purpose of the organization mm. and the mission, then the worst thing that you can do is micromanage them. I don't think I've ever been the biggest micromanager, mm. but I think when I was working potentially in larger organizations with an expectation that you were yeah. on top of things mm. constantly. And, and understandably, I get that completely. Uh, whereas now... I manage by pad in a very, very similar way to the way that I manage other people. You know, mm. it is fundamentally with the belief that they are capable to do the job that you've employed them to do, that they buy into the mission and the purpose of the organization, and the organization is all about its purpose, and that they will constantly be able to report back any challenges they have but deliver what the expectation is, and that they will help each other. I'm not really convinced that work could ever be a family in its traditional sense. Mm. But I think we've been able to create something at the IEP that feels a bit like, like that, that yeah. and that everyone is supportive of, it, of each other. Yeah. And for me, that's brilliant because, well, they make me look relatively good, good. at what I do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really is as simple as that. And actually, if I had to get into some of the weeds of the business that they deliver it, it may well be that i may well be found out in terms of my level of no, understanding no, so i think i think it it suits my purpose it suits theirs and i would hope you i think it suits theirs I, I would hope if you ask them they would say they're given a lot of flexibility and a lot of opportunity to do what, what's necessary and they're always really enthused and really excited about where we're going next what we're doing how we're going to be doing this it's it's ever-changing so 
Yeah, I mean, Scott. I mean, yeah, yeah. we. I commented earlier on. You know, your career. Uh, you know, you, you've you've had a very wide uh, ranging career. You worked for large sort of employability organizations. You've worked for international organizations. You worked for uh, small organizations. You've been involved with startups yourself and and uh, again you know you've been early days with the IEP as well so a little bit about the learnings from each one of those for advice in terms of uh, people out there that you might sort of you know any words of wisdom yeah I mean I mean the, the first thing I would always say and I think everybody would say this find somebody who can act as a mentor and then find somebody who can act as a coach because mm. they're very different things mm. find yeah. peers that understand your yeah philosophy i certainly have over the years yeah. i've gravitated to people who i respect enormously mm. who i can ask for mm. advice often it's interesting because as you progress in your career that advice is two sides of the same coin it seems to be ends up being a conversation and ultimately you do probably in that conversation give something back to the individual that you're asking advice from i think it's also about not being afraid to take risks i think mm. Some of the things that have happened in my career have been forced upon me in terms of, you know, there's in, in anyone's career, there's redundancy and there's that kind Situations of thing. Situations happen. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. The, the, the nature of life. I don't think you always feel it at the time, mm. but actually I think when you reflect, you think, mm. well, you know, yeah, that's how it is. Yeah. And actually, if you take that then as an opportunity to to build upon, then you would argue I wouldn't be doing what I was doing now if, yeah. if something in that chain hadn't happened. Yeah. But I think, you know, hard work is significant in that mm. and having the right people around you. Mm. And look, I've got... 160 strong fellowship network that I can call upon to help solve problems. I mean, mm. nobody has that level of coaches and mentors and support in any business. So I'm very, very fortunate that I can pick up the phone to the majority of those and mm. go, what do you think about this? And then, of course, I've got a, a, a newly refreshed yeah. and soon to be announced board. So in terms, in terms of uh, the sector itself. I mean, the sector's gone through a lot of change. I mean, we've had COVID, we've had policy change, we've had sort of direction change and so forth. Quite a few of our colleagues have actually left the sector as well. Quite a few new people have joined. Talk to us a little bit about some of those sort of changes, particularly in terms of the last couple of years. And, and where are we within the sector? Because, you know, there is a shortage of people, there's no doubt. I mean, we talk about it at the moment. How do we attract people in this sector? And you talk about, you know, people sort of fall into this sector to a certain level by career. How do we actually make that a little bit more deliberate as well, Scott? I think it's um, it's such a big question and there's so many different elements that I think I would argue now that there is a benchmark of learning so there is and there is a career pathway I think that is attractive to people as long as you can get the message out there I think commissioners government and providers of services wherever they sit understanding what an amazing resource and commodity those people are I think is significant in that also I think constructing an environment where professional practice is important, it is, I know it is, I hear this all the time, but actually looking at structural elements around quality improvement and various things means something in that vein. And as I say, it's not just, although I see no examples of this, by the way, but it's not just a shiny office or a great system. I'd love to think that we get to a point in the not too distant future where people in university or people coming out of school or looking for career change do see that the employability profession is is one that they want to join. Right at the beginning, you touched on uh, developing the apprenticeship sort of standard for the sector. 
in terms of what has worked and what you know what you've had to sort of really look at tell us a little bit about sort of that sort of journey what works for the sector in terms of how do we get those right qualifications how do we bespoke and qualifications which are fit for purpose and just sort of that education part of of the sector if you can yeah i, I think the answer once again is multifaceted i think yeah. i think you've got to listen I think you've got to understand um, we are repositioning and redesigning learning at the moment around mm. complex needs because yeah. there has been a shift in the fauna beds and the nature of those participants coming through to some of the large programs at the moment given the mass unemployment post-pandemic didn't happen yeah. and there's there's definitely a, a different mix mm. so you have to listen you have to build things that are useful you also have to be ahead of that and thinking about the next iteration. So we've just launched a, an award in AI and artificial mm-hmm. intelligence, which is you know, very important at this moment in time, will continue to be so for a while. I think you also, well, I would say this, but you should always develop learning with people who are amazing learning and development professionals, mm-hmm. but also having done the job. I think that level of occupational competence in my team that helped build those things is amazing. And I think that stands that learning apart because they can they could never be caught out in a conversation. What about if this happens or do you have experience of this? Because they have. And very lastly, I think you have to develop some of the elements of specialism with partners. So our award in employer solutions was built yeah. alongside Deakin University in Melbourne and Ingius here okay. in the UK. Um, our neurodiversity with Genius Within mm. and our older workers with Centre for Aging Better. And I could go on mental health and employment with uh, Big Dog, Little Dog. And, and so lots of different examples. I don't think there is a learning program that we've developed potentially other than the AI one, which hasn't had a partner organisation as a subject matter expert. Okay. Really important. Some fantastic learnings there. So if we if we sort of, you know, sitting here stargazing in terms of the next couple of years, there's a lot of potential changes there. Some we can sort of guess on some we have to sort of, you know, see how, how it pans out. You know, if, if you and I were, say, having a just a dinner table conversation, imagine this is that, what, and I asked you the question, you know, what does the next couple of years look like for us as a employability uh, sector employability professionals what guidance would you give us and what else, what would you say crystal, crystal ball yeah. as it were but yeah. I, and i think look the the sociological and economic challenges we're facing are going to change in the next couple of years so i think we have high levels of economic inactivity in our country i think we are doing some things about supporting that so i think from an employability professional it'll be more of the same Mm. supporting people who have significant barriers to move back into employment, whatever Mm. those barriers are. But I think also it will be more activity about people who are not being referred through traditional route ways. There's the real potential for that. I think there'll be an extension in terms of those people who require support in terms of mental health or physical disability. I think there's quite a lot of work to do there. I'd love to think that... Uh, we get to a point in the next couple of years where everyone understands the amazing talent that, that the practitioners have and that we can leverage that to do a lot of that work. Mm-hmm. I think that's starting, but I, I think there's there's work to be done. Two years is not enough time, mm-hmm. but before I retire, and this is my dream, I don't know whether dream is the right word, but... Ambition, say, yeah, whatever the, I'd love yeah. to think, or at least I would really like to think, that we could get over ourselves 
with the stigma of being unemployed or not working or not currently having a purpose that society understands, okay? The only analogy I can think of is if you were to break your leg today, you would go to the emergency room. Fundamentally, that is the first place you would go. Even if you didn't know you'd broken your leg, if you're in a lot of pain, that's where yeah. you'd go. I would like genuinely to get to a point where those people who need the public service that our members deliver mm. and that organizations like yourselves deliver would go immediately to their referral point, whether that be mm. the job center, whether that be a provider, whether that be a, a, a charity within the town in which they live, that actually they were able to get over the stigma of losing their job or get over the stigma potentially of realizing they need to be doing something more with purpose and that actually they take those steps on their own. In essence, it's their choice to do that mm. rather than worrying intently about mm. making that decision and that step forward. So in terms of uh, a little bit of stargazing, yeah, uh, uh, what do you see are the sort of things that are important for, say, leaders within the arena that they need to be looking at and, and be aware of? And how do we slightly future-proof ourselves as entities, as organizations? There have been a, a fair amount of mergers, a fair amount of sort of all people, organizations that have had to uh, diversify change. How do we ensure the fact that we survive, not just survive, but thrive in this arena in your, in your sort of viewpoint? I think we've organizationally, and I speak for, for every organization, I think we need to have a capable and competent workforce at mm. all levels within mm. the organization. Mm. I think we need to nurture that. I think we need to coach effectively. I think obviously clearly we need mm. health and well-being strategies. We need to keep communicating and allow the workforces to be fully informed constantly about yeah. what's happening within mm. the organization so they buy into the philosophy and the purpose of the organization. Mm. As leaders, I think it's our moral responsibility mm. to to drive that to be available to support that activity uh, to the very best of our our ability i think also we should always be looking for what's outside of that as well trying to anticipate change trying to support an organization to be able to manage that change when it comes there's nothing so sure that change will happen is there it's important to be in a situation where you're able to manage that we talked about boom and bust earlier in, in a market for one a better term i'm not sure i like that too much but in a mm. in an environment where change is almost the only constant and i think most leaders or all the leaders i know in the sector have been very used to operating in that regard for a very very long time so on a sort of um, a personal basis, you know, you know, I'll say to you, Scott, I mean, I, I, look, I look at your LinkedIn profile every day, more or less. I mean, you're on my feed con continuously, constantly. You're very active. And you touched on this earlier on and you said, you know, our leaders, you know, a lot of the people at the sea level don't seem to embrace social media as much. Uh, and, you know, you've got middle sort of managers, team leaders who who've got a different mindset, uh, a different approach. The same to a certain level, you can talk about AI in, in many frames. And we've got to stay relevant. We've got to stay on top of our game and we've got to embrace and have that open mind. So talk to us in terms, in a nutshell, you know, what advice would you give to some of these chief execs and, and some of these C-level people that you're, you're sort of talking to on a, on a daily basis as a sort of friendly piece of encouragement and advice? 
Well, I mean, firstly, I don't think I'm qualified to, to give that advice. And, and secondly, Saf, I think you need to be doing something else than reading my LinkedIn feed, to be honest. But I'm sure there's something more yeah. purposeful than that. But, but no, I think I embraced social media very early on in this journey because it's my need and intent to be the widest possible movement possible. And I think that driver for me is possibly different from other leaders in the sector. Now, yes, they want to make sure that people are aware about of the good work that's being undertaken within their organization. They'll also be wanting to share what's good about that organization, new initiatives, that kind of thing. But I don't think it's necessarily the same thing. But on the other hand, I would argue that visibility for an organization in our sector is hugely important for the wider purpose. You know, we're trying to talk to people valuing this as a role and occupation. Well, they can't if they don't know about it. We're trying to get government to value it. Well, they can't if they don't get it, in essence, in their face on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And also, more importantly, everybody uses social media at the moment. So if those staff members, those team members internally are not seeing that being reflected across their social media feeds, then it... I'm not saying they don't feel valued because there are many other mechanisms for that to happen, but I think they don't feel as visible as maybe they would like to be. So I think there's lots and lots of challenges. I think sometimes we operate in a social media world in the way for many different reasonable reasons that we did 10 or 15 years ago when there was constant challenge about the sector. The sector's changed out of sight and that's on a global level as well. There are amazing organizations delivering amazing things with absolute enormous heart. And for those people that turn around and say, oh, well, the sector only cares about business, it only cares about, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you were to decide to set up a business and you, your only driver was to do that for prestige or profit or anything like that, you wouldn't be doing it in the employability sector. It's A, too hard, and B, it's difficult to do anything mm -hmm. that, you know. So I think it's... Absolutely. If you're not passionate about it, there's no chance. Yeah. You have absolutely no chance. So, you know, there's the, the social media part of it and, and so forth. I mean, our relationship to a certain level has changed now. And I, I get I fully get and I'm fully with you on, on the visibility part of it. And you want to feel part of a movement to, to some level. But there are still organizations that are very sort of restrictive in terms of, well, you know what, you can't post on this and you can't do this and you can't do that. And, and, and we've got to get everybody open-minded a little bit to say you know what we need to be a little bit more visible we need to show our credibility we need to show our journey and so forth so i, I would you know encourage people to embrace it a little bit more and maybe maybe have some positive action and positive policies to suggest that you know what get champions within your organization and and think about how you're going to post and what you're going to post and have those conversations like you would with any sort of PR campaign or marketing campaign to be a little bit more deliberate in your approach. That's one thing, even though you know I don't feel qualified to say, but I will say to say, you know, organizations should be thinking about how they're perceived. And that's one way of attracting talent. That's another way of attracting these partnerships. And 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 you know, I do look up to your good self in terms of how you do that and how you embrace that. And and you know, very gracious in encouraging others, you know, with your sort of sharing and likes and commenting and so forth. And you know, I would say to others as well, you know, follow your lead and and to do so. Any, any thoughts on, on yeah, that? I think, I, yeah, um, <laughs> once again, um, yeah. I'm not sure anyone should follow my lead, but, uh, but I, I, I take the point entirely. I think, I think if you have an organization 
that is generally driven by purpose that hires the right people in. What's the worst that could happen? And yes, maybe it's through champions. Maybe there's some learning. Maybe there's some social media training that can be instilled. I mean, it is an open environment that never goes away. So you have to have some protection. But I think if you are working with the right people who understand the purpose and vision of the organization, who really care about what they're doing, which I've not come across a single person in the sector in the whole of my career that is not here genuinely for the right reasons. Yeah, they get paid a salary. That's important to live. But ultimately, the driving force is to support other people to change their lives for the better. So I think if you've got those people in play, I don't think you can go far wrong. I don't think the risk is high. And I think that gone are the days when there were significant kind of movements against, as it were, against the the activities of the sector. It's a very, very long time ago. And I think the sector has done so much to improve what it's doing, its outward promotion, and also to be able to get all those wonderful stories out there about how they have supported people to change their lives. So just bringing things a little bit to a close, Scott, I mean, you know, you've innovated and you've, your organization has been leading on some of the innovations and the changes. And, and talk to us a little bit about some of those sort of next steps for you as an organization. Yes, you've got the global ambition. Uh, you're still very much at the center of UK in terms of the priorities. What, what does that look like in terms of the Institute, you know, the IEP in terms of the future? And, and what are the earlier on you said you know the product mix keeps changing we keep adding there's you know it's multifaceted it's growing uh you've got a team of people uh, you've got the partnerships if you've got all of those sort of networks out there the next few years if you can share that with us please yeah i think whilst always been mindful of the kind of boom and bust activity yeah. that we spoke about before i think for me four years ago we had to have a suite of learning to have a career journey We have that now and we're adding to that all the time, as I mentioned earlier. But I think a couple of years ago, in conversation with a number of people, probably no one, definitely including yourself, I realized that a professional institute can't be, for want of a better, a one-trick pony, as it were. And learning is hugely important to us because it's the way that we prove occupational competence. So my ambition for the IEP over the last two years is, yes, okay, there are some international endeavors which are hugely important to us and will enable us to build better, bring back intellect and understanding to the UK, create that kind of global community. But um, it was about creating ecosystems, starting to really understand what makes employability delivery at its essence better. And so we've started to do a number of those activities. We are influencing or supporting academic research. We are taking academic research and making it more readily available. That then helps and supports policymakers to make the right decision. Not that they don't make the right decisions, I mean that enables them to make the very right decision. Then that enables commissioners to commission the right services that Mm -hmm. fit for purpose. Obviously, part of that is about occupational competence and learning and accreditation, but it's also about quality improvement. And then having a repository for that information to be able to be accessed really effectively. It's interesting because the mechanisms in that kind of process or, or ecosystem are so interreliant on each other. If you're in a situation where compliance is so restrictive, then it's very difficult to innovate and take risk, particularly in a quality improvement situation. Mm. And if you're in a non-compliant state, which doesn't really happen anywhere, then obviously the risk is huge. And I, I think what the IEP is going to be able to do in that 
capacity and many others is try and support different elements of the ecosystem to find a balance. And I think that's my ambition, mm. to really find a balance between compliance and quality, between policy and research, between commissioning and delivery, between public sector and private sector, between traditional employability environments with new or different sectors like housing or justice. I think finding that balance probably is the key mission over the next 10 years. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Scott, can I just say firstly, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you once again. You've shared so much nuggets of wisdom there. Just love what you said about trust earlier on. I'm going to pick that and, and utilize that with my team as well. I think that's real magic there. Again, you know, I, I'm going to wish you all the best in terms of your journey. There's no doubt that you know you're, you you can't retire in the next two years you can't we can't allow you to retire in the next couple of years anyway you've got so much work to do and because this is your passion this is what your identity is those conversations we, we just can't we can't have that uh, I wish you well in terms of the the team the changes that you're making with the board as well I know that that's imminent I, I'm looking forward to that and how that goes I'll let you have the last word I just want to thank you for all your support with the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance you know you've been a patron you've supported us you've put us in the right direction you've you've been there you know you know you talk about you having your 160 contacts you've been that one contact for us in terms of you know us being reaching out to you and you've guiding us and supporting us and we continuously talk about our relationship with IEB because we're proud the fact that you've attached the brand that you've built and you've nurtured and you've thrived and you've attached that to our our cause and our ideas and, and so forth so once again, thank you so much. Honestly, you are a role model, and I've said that, and, I, and you, you might think, you know, he's, he keeps saying that, but genuinely, genuinely is the case, and we look up to what you've done and, and the ecosystem that you're building, and we look and learn from that and observe what you're doing. So thank you for that. Thank you for all your support, and thank you for coming down and spending some time with us in Birmingham. Um, thank you, Saf, and, and once again, you're, you're genuinely far too kind, but I, I'll, I'll take that on my on my drive away. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. And, and, and look, none of this is a chore. It's wonderful to spend time in your company. It's wonderful to support the Multicultural Apprenticeship Alliance. It's wonderful to do all the things that we do. I think if you are purpose-driven, which I would argue to work in the employability sector, you have to be. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. Then actually all of these things, if you feel you can make even the slightest bit of difference, then it's, it's really important. So thank you very much for your time. It's been a real joy talking to you, as it always is. Thank you, Scott. Thanks to Scott Parkin from the Institute of Employability Professionals for his time and insight. Next week, you'll be able to hear Safraz in conversation with Sharon Blyfield, head of Early Years Coca-Cola, Euro-Pacific Partners Limited. So if you don't want to miss that, then remember to subscribe or follow us. If you are new to the podcast, let me tell you, there are already 81 other Canny Conversations podcast episodes out there. And you can listen to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. We'd also love it if you could review, subscribe or follow the podcast. And please tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to cannyconversationspodcast.co.uk or go to Safraz's website, that's safraz.co.uk. Safras has also written a series of easy-to-follow business books, Canny Bites, 
These are available from cannybites.co.uk forward slash by the book. As I said, we'll be back next week where Safraz will be in conversation with Sharon Blyfield, head of early careers, Coca-Cola, Euro-Pacific Partners Limited. So until then, we hope you have a good week. This is a 1386 audio production.